What does Jesus' mission look like here? What does Jesus' mission look like here? What is Jesus' mission here? How do I know what Jesus' mission is? everybody. It's good to see you. I'm a little under the weather, so I got my tissues up here with me. Um, I'm hoping that works. When I was little, I used to have bad allergies. I still have them, um, but I've always had them, I guess. So, um, But they're real bad when I was little. I think it's because our house was always dirty. I'm, not, I'm kind of being funny, but not really. Because I'm really allergic to dust. And so um, when I was little, I would wake up every morning and I have this really, really bad like nasal drip or whatever that was. And I'm so I'd go to school, and I guess you're supposed to use tissues, but I didn't learn that until probably, I don't know, seventh grade or something like that. And so for most of the time, I always wore short sleeve shirts, and I just would use this part of my arm. And I have like this, um, there's actually a birthmark on my arm, but I was convinced until I was 12 that that birthmark was actually a result of me wiping my nose. So I brought tissues to be more appropriate. I'm Josh, I'm the one teaching today. Uh, we're actually wrapping up. A, a series, I guess you'd call it a series. I think that's what hip churches call it now. Um, but basically, uh, we were wrapping up uh, the, the, the book of Acts. We've been working through it for maybe, I don't know, three, four months. And we're in Acts 21. And we're going to cover Acts 21 through 28 today. And let me make a couple of really quick um, disclaimers before we start. Uh, here, here's the first one. I think this is really important. Typically, when you come to church, uh, you typically classify people into one of two places, right? Uh, there's church people and there's not church people, right? There's, and, and if you're not church people, you think there's judging people and there's non-judging people, right? I mean, if you're here, you're kind of like, oh, I'm kind of uncomfortable. I'm not sure what people are thinking. They may have seen me when I was in high school or college. Or they may have seen me last night, whatever, whatever that deal is, right? So there, there's this idea that there's church people and unchurched people. And even with that understanding, there's, there's this idea that um, there are people that know a good bit about the Bible and there's people that don't know anything about the Bible. Or if we classify, there's people that believe in God and people that don't. And I just, today, I want us all to kind of start with, with this understanding, okay? Instead of us throwing out any classifications for the next 40, 30, 40 minutes or so, what I would prefer, and I think it'd be most helpful and most healthy of us, is that for all of us just to put ourselves in one category, which is this, okay, here's the category. We don't know everything. Is that a fair category? So instead, there's a bunch of people sitting in a room, and the one thing that we all have in common is we don't have it all figured out, right? In fact, when you're younger, you thought you had it all figured out, if you're older now. When you're younger, you thought you had it all figured out, and the older you got, the more you discovered, the less that you know, right? I mean, and so, like, the one thing that we probably can all at least start with some common ground on is we don't have all the answers. In fact, many of you are here right now because you're thinking, Man, something's just not working. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe it's because God's angry at me because of something I did when I was little or something I did this week. And maybe, maybe if I just go and say, I'm sorry and say, okay, God, if you're real, come through for me and everything will get fixed. Some of you are there for that very purpose, right? You're here because you're like, well, maybe, just maybe there's an answer to why my marriage is a mess or my finances are a mess or why I can't sleep or why I feel guilty. Maybe, maybe that's some of you, right? There's others of you, you just have gone through this routine forever and you're like, I'm not even sure why I'm here. Like, I, I think somehow I'm supposed to be here. My grandmother wanted me to come. My mom wanted me to come. My husband wanted me to come. My wife wanted me to come. And you're, so you're just here, not really sure. The one thing that I just want to, the only assumption that I want us to operate under today is let's just admit that maybe, or not maybe, definitely, 
we don't have all the answers. Um, and the other, uh, so with that being said, there's, there's another assumption I'm operating under, which is if you're here, okay? I say this most weeks. If you're here, the only assumption I'm making is that you are at least open to the idea that God could be real. I'm not even saying that you need to be convinced at this point. But if you're here, you're at least open to the idea that there might have been beyond two electrons or however that works scientifically, bumping into each other and something starting in motion. There might have actually been something that created all this, right? That you're at least open to that. And if there's a God who could have possibly created all this and is capable of doing so, then that God can also be capable of in this moment speaking to us and that God can also be capable of being able to give us some better direction for our life. I don't, so again, I don't know why you're here. God may be a genie in a bottle to you. God may be some really far away fictitious character, but at least I just want us to admit that maybe we don't have it all figured out. With that being said, um, we're going to be in a couple of different places today. We're going to be finishing up Acts 21 through 28. I'm only going to be reading uh, chapter 28. Then we're going to jump back into the Old Testament because I want to see where this fits together. And I promise it will resolve actually to a pretty nice bow today. Then we're going to spend some time in Isaiah chapter 6. Then we're going to jump back to the New Testament briefly in John chapter 12 and then John chapter 11. We're going to see dead people come to life. We're going to see angry prophets kind of stand before people and cuss at them and them not respond very well. Lots of good stuff. And so uh, if you just participate with me, that would be awesome. Let me pray. And I'm going to ask that my nose and my sniffles don't become a distraction to you nor me and that... God's word would be the only thing that really matters in this place and that somehow through it we could discover something about life and about hope and all those things. I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Jesus, um, God, there are people in this room who love you dearly. There are people in this room who don't know you at all. And, uh, but God, the one thing I do know is every single one of us, God, we, we could all use a little more hope. Uh, we could all use a little more direction. And God, we can actually all use a little more understanding. And God, I'm reminded of what you say through your prophet Isaiah, that uh, your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways. And as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are your thoughts from our thoughts and our, uh, your ways from our ways. And so God, uh, my acknowledgement is I don't have any answers, but I believe you do. And so God, for all of us in this room, would you just help us kind of, maybe it's just a very tiny step or maybe it's, miles of movement today of just helping us get on your path, on your ways, and understand your thoughts. God, for this this deal I have going on with allergies, God, my prayer, Lord, is um, that I just wouldn't be a distraction. In the words of John the Baptist, our Lord, would I uh, decrease so that you can increase? God, would it be evident that you speak? It would be evident that you're real, and it would be evident that your words are the only one that offer hope? And so, Jesus, uh, man, whatever I say on a turn, would you strike it from the record, strike me mute, strike me dead if necessary, and would you have your way? And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. One commitment I do have to you, I'm not going to actually blow my nose, okay? So I, I won't do any of those things. I won't be like, you know, like that kind of deal. Um, Julie, which I love, like if you know my wife, she's beautiful and uh, about as close to perfect as I've known of anyone other than Jesus. You have Jesus, well, God, the Holy Spirit, and you almost clump them all together, right? Uh, um, and then you have Julie, like, you know what I'm saying? Little, you know, like that kind of deal. But Julie, she doesn't do the nasal drip very well. Like, she just doesn't mess with it at all. Like, she doesn't like it. Like, it will drive her crazy. And so she has no problem pulling out the tissue anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, we could be in the middle of, like, a, a fancy restaurant, and all of a sudden I hear, like, what, like, what I believe is an elephant about to storm the room. 
You're, you're thinking you shouldn't share that here because your wife will claw your eyeballs out. And that is accurate. But anyway, so I'm not going to blow up my nose. I might be, uh, uh, just forgive me for that. Anyway, so here, here's kind of the deal, okay? We've been John 20, John, uh, John 1 through John 20, I mean, Acts 1 through Acts 20. There's been lots of crazy stuff going on. Uh, we began with Jesus dying, coming back to life, which is a really cool story. And so Jesus is back to life. He shows up and he gives kind of this mission to these uh, 11 guys that are left over. Okay, these are 11 guys that follow Jesus, chase after him, all those things. They believed in him. They thought, man, he is life. And so they, Jesus kind of leaves them with a mission in Acts 1-6. It says, hey, wait right where you are until you get the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, it will empower you. And then in Acts 1-8, it says, and then you'll be my witnesses to, through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. So basically, this is the beginning of what becomes a gigantic movement. Just so you understand, let me provide you know, some, some, some brief history on, on the church. There are actually two times, scholars have done this and studied it, there are two times where like the, the Christian church has had explosive growth. What I mean by that is exponential growth where tons and tons of people are saying, I don't care about my occupation anymore. I mean, they, they still work. I don't, I don't care about my family anymore. I mean, I still love my family. I don't care about any of those things. What's most important to me and everything else is kind of like points to this most important thing is Jesus. And I will give whatever it takes, including my life for it again. Two very specific times. The second fastest growing period of, of church history is actually happening right now. Not in America at all. In fact, in America, if you look at the Christian church, it's either plateaued, declining, like slowly but surely. Every county from 1990 to 2000, now from 2000 to 2010, declined in the number of people who would identify themselves as Christians. So understand, population growth is going up over the last 20 years in America. And the number of people saying, hey, I believe in Jesus and I trust Jesus and I would classify myself as a Christian has actually gone down. So not in America, but right now in China, right now in this moment for the last 15 years, there has been an explosive growth of people who are chasing after Jesus and saying, Jesus is enough. Jesus is my prize. Jesus is my hope. And the ironic part about it is they can actually go to prison or be killed for this belief. So the second fastest growing period of time actually is happening right now in China in a communist country where it's actually illegal and could be deadly to say that Jesus is Lord, right? The first time is actually from 19, uh, about 75 AD, okay, 72 to 75 AD, to 275 AD. There's about a 200-year period again where the, the growth of Christianity was absolutely exponential. What we see in the first 28 chapters is basically 30 AD to 75 AD, okay? So about a 40, 50-year period where there's been some really cool foundational work that's happened, but then over the next 200 years, something crazy happens. What's crazy, though, is all this, and we'll pick, uh, this is where we find Paul in Acts 28, is that at the end of this, in a place called Rome. Okay, not Rome, Georgia, Rome, Italy. Big, big deal, big, big place. And right now there's an emperor, like a, a leader in Rome named Nero, okay? Nero is showing up on the scene about this time. So you have Nero who showed up on the scene and then you have Paul who has now ended his journey and he's now in Rome in the western part about the, the, the gospel is about to expand. What happens, if you know much about Nero, there's a story and you may have heard about Nero playing a violin uh, what happens is Nero decides that he really is into himself. And he wants everybody else to be really into him too. Like, wow, like he thought he was like a god, okay? And you don't, this isn't Bible. I mean, you can just look this up in your history books. More likely you've heard something about it. And Nero thought one of the best ways to get people to point to him was to take everything else they had. You know, like God's idea of, well, if we're dependent on, if we're independent, we don't really need a god. If, so if we take away that independence, then maybe we'll need a god. And so Nero has this great plan that he would burn down the city of Rome. Okay. So you hear the story, it's kind of legend that the whole city of Rome gets burned down and there's Nero playing his violin 
and the whole place is burned down. Right? So here you got this big emperor, like this big leader of this nation state, right? This big deal. And he's burning down the city. And the Romans and the folks in there are getting really angry. And they start saying, okay, who is doing this? Like, who is burning down our city? Who just killed my family? Who just made me lose all of my livestock and all of my stuff and leave my house in ruins, right? And so people start saying, well, I think it was Nero. And so people are going to Nero and there's about to be this big revolt. And what Nero says is, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was them Christians. Is how, I don't know that he said it quite like that. But, you know, it was like he was the Christians. The Christians did this, right? And so all of a sudden, people get angry, right? And so this is 75, 80 AD. People start getting really angry because they believe the Christians came over and said, we think y'all are a bunch of pagans, a bunch of sinners, and we're going to burn down your state to show you that nothing's good or whatever. And so it's like, imagine it'd be like uh, what we imagine now, or some of you, if you're not a Christian, you have this perspective that Christians are the guys who just stand out on the street with a bullhorn yelling at you, telling you you're going to hell and that God hates you, right? I mean, like you have those experiences. And so that kind of deal, which is a very, very tiny portion of the people who, um, who say they're Christians. In fact, you may be familiar with Westboro Baptist Church, which in my opinion isn't a church. It's a cult straight from Satan. If you want to know my honest opinion, there it is. The guys who stand up and say, God hates whoever, however, God hates soldiers, God killed America, God killed your son, whatever it is. That is not Jesus speaking. That is a bunch of fools standing up and saying a bunch of stupid stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. And so that's a very small portion, right? And so because the same thing was happening in Rome, there you got some people who use the, the Bible or use their beliefs for their own agenda to get their own gain. And so they're like, hey, those guys, they burnt down your whole city. So the people in Rome are angry. In fact, what you see over the next 200 years is some really scary persecution. In fact, if you know anything about Nero, Nero used to throw these huge, massive, inappropriate parties at his house. Like, inappropriate. Like, I'm talking about, like, uh, you, you dream it up. It was probably happening in there with any drug, with any kind of shape, form, fashion. And they'd have these huge festivals celebrating just the craziest things that they declared as pleasure, which ended up hurting most of them. But um, back then, 2,000 years ago, there wasn't uh, electricity, right? I mean, there wasn't like, uh, you know, you hit a switch and the nice lights come up. But because uh, Nero was festive and he liked outdoor lighting and he realized that humans burn well, I'm not making this up at all, what he would do is he would, um, he would stick Christians up on gigantic poles, I don't know if it had a big stake and he actually stuck them on there. I don't know if he hung them. I don't know what he did. Tied up and he lighted them on fire. And so as you'd walk into these big parties, like, you know, you see those big fancy lanterns now, like on big long driveways. Instead of big fancy lanterns, it was Christians screaming and yelling and they were burning to the death because of their beliefs, right? So this is about where we're about to get in history. Right before this is when Paul is actually about to be, he just made it through the journey. We saw in uh, Acts 20, he was heading to Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, now all the religious people get mad at him. Then all the the Gentiles get mad at him. And he just keeps getting thrown from prison to prison to prison. And standing before judge after judge after ends up standing in front of governors and Caesar. Saying, yeah, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. And they don't like it at all. And so this is actually setting up both what history tells us about and what the Bible tells us about. This is where they collide, where things are about to get really, really ugly for Christians, okay? Because one of my big fears for you is to say, hey, just pray this prayer and Jesus will give you a new car. 
It's just not how it works. And like, there's nothing in the Bible about that. Like, it doesn't say, well, if you trust in Jesus, everything gets easier. In fact, it gets a lot harder. Does it get better? Absolutely. But does persecution come? Absolutely. So this weird thing happens throughout history when people begin to realize that their faith may actually lead them into some major trouble. What it does is it, it no longer is like the Christian faith diluted. There's actually people who are really, really boldly saying, there's just nothing else that matters. So what you're about to see right here is someone like Paul leading the journey that's setting up for 200 years of just some explosive growth. Just for the last part of um, the, 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 the context here, it's actually around 270, 272, 75 AD when the actual, the actual Christian growth, like the amount of people who become Christians, actually starts to taper off and slow down. The ironic part, this is when Constantine shows up. And so Constantine shows up and sees some of the benefits for these folks who are Christian and starts pushing this Christian belief system of Jesus makes everything better or, you know, like if you're, if you're a Christian, you're a better person and better persons do better things or whatever it is. And Constantine actually makes uh, Christianity uh, both legal and preferred in this area. So when it becomes okay again is actually when it becomes diluted again is actually when you see like the, it taper off. It'd be very similar to looking at the 1700s in this region when people actually came here and said all I want is Jesus right I mean you read about Jonathan Edwards and Puritans saying look we just want the freedom to trust God fully and you see some people who are passionate about their faith now all of a sudden Christianity which is kind of the unspoken religion of America all of a sudden you see that become predominant and you see again this dilution and these people just kind of saying yes it's not that big of a deal I can both be a Christian and I can both eat my cake too right and so there's this this gray area so that's the whole deal so the first time this happens when when things are about to get real rough actually begin with Paul you know just 30 years after Jesus's death and so this is Acts 28 and we begin in verse 17 and luckily Paul kind of gives us a a review of everything that's happened over the last couple years from when Paul leaves Ephesus goes to Jerusalem it was a couple year period where he just is kicked and beat up and persecuted and handcuffed and poisoned and abused I mean you name it it happened to Paul in this deal and so Paul's about to give like just a brief really brief glimpse of what those last couple years will look like and it's going to be Acts 28 verse 17 and I'm going to begin here goes after three days he called together the local leaders the Jews and when they had gathered he said to them brothers though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of Romans so he calls them together he's now in Rome he's married there and he said let me tell you what it's been like for me the last couple years when they had examined me They wished to set me at liberty because there is no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, okay, the Jews are the religious people. So the people who really like their checklists and use religion for their own gain, they didn't like what I had to say. I kept talking about how Christ provided freedom and they could be, they could trust nothing but Christ. It had nothing to do with their works that could make God happy with them. It had everything to do with what Jesus did for them. They didn't like that at all because that meant that they would get less money because they couldn't manipulate these folks. That means they couldn't control them as much. So they're saying, hey, hey, you're telling me that I better do this in this way and I better show up to church every day and I better give 95% of my income. I better give everything I have and serve everybody I have to build your kingdom and Paul is now saying that all I need to do is say that Jesus you're enough like you're enough you're Lord you're Savior like you tell me I can be freed from all that baggage and all my history and all my past and I have to do penance every day you tell me all those things I can do all that just because of Jesus that sounds good and so the, the religious people didn't like that at all so Paul said so the Jews didn't like it at all and so so let's see um, but be, because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal, uh, appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked you to see you and speak with you 
since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. So he's saying, hey, look, I've, I've dealt with the religious folks. I've dealt with the pagans. I've talked to Caesar. I've talked to the Jewish leaders. And now this is it for me, guys. I'd just love to sit down with you. Could you just listen for a second? I know that you have some experience with God. Some of you think he's real. Some of you don't. Some of you think it's about your religion. Some of you think it's about Jesus. Could we just all just admit that we don't have it all together and we don't have everything figured out? And can I just make a statement to you? And that's what he's saying to us. I've asked to see you and speak with you since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning to evening, he expounded them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophet. So he's got these religious people who are not sure all the answers. And they're like, well, we don't know. We don't know much about Jesus. But we're just, what we've heard is that people say stay away from him. He's creepy. He'll make you do creepy things. Or he's not even real. He was fictitious. You know, he's just some weird legend. We don't know much. So we're happy to sit down for a second. What we'll, what we'll admit is we don't have all the answers. And so Paul says, okay, let's sit together. And the Bible says that, um, in Acts, it says that Paul sat down and worked both through their Bible. That the, you basically, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the Hebrew, like the beginning of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah. Like it is what they base as truth. It, so the law of Moses is what it's called. And then past that in the Old Testament, you have the law of Moses, which is what God said. Hey, here's the answers. Here's some answers. Here's how you need to operate. Then from there, they're like, no, God, we don't want law anymore. We want you to give us kings and rulers and judges. And so they go through this huge drama cycle. And so finally God gets pretty upset. And so he starts send, sending different people to him to kind of, this is to the Jews in their history, to start announcing a bunch of stuff. Like, hey, tell them that they're wrong. Tell them that all they need to do is repent. Tell them that they just need to look towards me. Tell them that if they'll humble themselves and call upon my name, I will heal their land. Just tell them those things. And so God starts sending a bunch of bearded, crazy men into these nations and these cities to declare that God is still loving and God is still gracious. And so Paul's like, let me just teach from what you already know, okay? You know this about the law of Moses and you know this about the prophets. Let me just teach you about Jesus through them. So that's what it says it's doing. And in verse 24, it says this. This is the end, okay? This is the end of Luke's gospel, or Luke's uh, sequel to the gospel, the book of Acts. This is the last part. These are the last few sentences in, in what we would consider like the... the um, preeminent or the most important book on church planning ever made. So for Christians who believe that the gospel is still being moved forward, these are the most important words ever written. And so this is Luke concluding the story of Paul in this. And so understand, we have about five or six verses left, so you know he's got to be important in conclusion. So here's what it says. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Really great. That's exactly where we'll be. Some of you will say, yeah, Jesus sounds good. Others of you will say, still sounds like a fairy tale to me. Right, I mean, that's just, the, that's just the, the, the fact of where we are, right? So the exact same scenario, Paul's teaching, saying, look, if you'll just listen, this, there's some good answers here, and it says this. Some are convinced. Luke is capturing this. Some are convinced. Some still didn't believe. Verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. Okay, so Paul basically says, oh, okay, I understand you're upset. Some of you believe, some of you don't. Wow, this is the statement that Paul makes. Last statement captured from Paul in the book of Acts, while he's in Rome, in prison, walking through a bunch of punishment. Very important words. And this is what he says, okay? Which is really ironic because he actually quotes an Old Testament prophet in Isaiah 6. That's what he says. The Holy Spirit was right. This is his statement to them, okay? Understand, 2,000 years ago, this statement was made to a group of people, probably less than they're in this room. 
The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For the, this people's heart are grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. In their eyes, they have closed. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So he's basically saying, hey, okay. Got a bunch of religious people think they have all the answers. They think they got it figured out. Know that it's just landed on your hearts pretty hard and you're just indifferent to it. But know this. Know that there are some people. Know there's some people who are saying, man, I don't have all the answers. There's got to be a better way. And they're listening. And they're responding. So he's just saying, he basically saying, look, I, about what I expected. Some of you would listen according to what the, your, your prophet Isaiah said. Some of you wouldn't. And he continues. He lived there to uh, Gentiles. Gentiles, they would listen, and then it finishes up with this. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's the end. The end of the church planning book. The end of the book of Acts. The end of the book that we've spent months. I'm talking about now probably, knowing how long I talk, about 30 hours walking through this entire book, sitting in this segment, in this room, working through it, and that's how it ends. Paul just continues for a couple of years. That's all we get. And I was like, no, 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 God, this has got to get better than this, right? Like, come on, there had to be some, like, kind of, gr- gr- like, gold at the end of the rainbow. Like, there's some kind of secret, like, some secret formula at the end that, that said, you know, and then everybody got BMWs. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want in Christianity. I'm not even lying, you know? Like, right now, I still got the truck outside, doesn't have a verse. In fact, as I, if you don't know the story, I traded for a 1985 Ford Ranger. It had, had five gears starting last week. Um, so first, second, third, fourth, and fifth are drive. And there's no reverse, which is fine. I'm just going circles. Doesn't matter to me. You can get everywhere eventually. I mean, if you ever pull in a parking lot or a parking like, space on accident, which I've done three times, all you got to do is throw it neutral and give it a good shove. <laughs> you know, just push it out into the, you know, like out into the parking lot and then jump in and go forward. It's not that big of a deal. Um, on the way down today, I had five years until about the kangaroo and in the subligna or gore area or whatever you call that up there. Um, and then for some reason, I lost all the gears except for third gear. So I got third gear. Third gear is going to get me over that mountain and get me home today. I'm not, anyway, so I'm, I'm telling you is, I think it'd be really great if you pray some prayer and get a BMW, you know? I'm not against it. I wouldn't mind having the comfort of a really nice car with heated seats. Now, right now, it's still a little bit too warm. But eventually, I mean, in the winter, I'll take that. Like, I will. Like, okay, call me not as good of a Christian, but I would love to have some comfort like that. I'd like to have a bigger house. I'd like to have a hundred head of cattle. I'm not even kidding. I don't know what I'd do with them, but I'd, I'd, have, I'd have some cattle. And someone would be like, hey, you're Josh. And what do you do? I'm like, well, I do a bunch of things, but I got a hundred head of cattle. That's exactly what I'd say. And I'd go, and I'd spit. That's what I'd do. Like that right there. And they'd be like, do you have clear chewing tobacco? And I'd be like, no, no, I'm afraid of that stuff. Like I tried it once. It gave me this crazy buzz and I was walking around. So I don't do that stuff anymore. You know, that's all I got, right? That's what I'd say. I don't mind. So I don't like to the end of Acts to get here and be like, <laughs> we all get BMWs, right? And wings. <laughs> BMWs and wings. That's it. That's all I need. But if it gets here and all Paul does, so anticlimactic, he quotes some old man with a beard from the Old Testament who is known as a guy who screamed and yelled and had some bad luck. So that's where we get. So it's like, oh man. 
So I was working through with our staff. I'm like, you know, Paul kind of had this great idea. And here's, here, this is, this, you'll appreciate this. Okay? Especially if you're not a Christian or even if you are, if you're always wondering how we work here. Like I will tell you very, very boldly and upfront, I am not trying to save you. Like, I actually hope you don't cry during this message. Like, I hope that there's no, like, emotional fix for you that you somehow think because you had some goosebumps, everything works out. Like, I don't want it. That's called manipulation. I don't want to manipulate you. I'm not saying every time you cry at a church it's because the pastor's manipulating you. I'm just saying I don't want to do that. Okay, I don't want to manipulate you at all because I can't save you. I have zero power. In fact, I will walk away from the day thinking, God, did I communicate your word clearly? If so, awesome. If not, I repent. But I don't even know what to tell you after that. You respond, that would be awesome. If you don't, I really don't, I mean, it makes me sad because I want you to know truth. I want you to chase after. But to be honest with you, I'm not responsible for your decisions. And so if, you, if you're in here and you're like, wow, I never feel like they're trying to, you know, convict me or control me. It's because we're not, because I have zero power. And so I was reading there, I'm like, oh, Paul, you got that. Like, Paul's just like, oh, yeah, the Bible's true. Some of you are going to get this. It's going to be really good for some of you. For others of you, it's not. I grew up in a, um, in a Baptist environment. I really loved it. I uh, know the Bible because of it. Uh, probably made some better decisions because I was scared to death of making the wrong decisions. So I didn't get any bad diseases or uh, have any really traumatic moments growing up. I mean, I didn't have to deal with a lot of uh, consequences of sin. Uh, uh, like in terms of massive stuff, I mean, I cheated in chemistry, but no one ever got caught and I, and I graduated and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of, like I should have probably, but that was kind of like the extent of my crazy rebellion. Um, and it, yeah, I, which I, I was about to say, this is how I cheated. I thought, man, they're like, some of you are in chemistry right now and I was about to, you're like, oh, finally I got something from church. I figured out how to make at least a C in chemistry. But anyway, uh, so that was kind of the extent of it. So not like any major consequences. So like, I'm grateful for like learning to, to do the right things. But I, like my dad was a, um, a Baptist minister and he's a minister of music. And I was sharing this on Monday and I'm kind of nervous my dad's going to hear this on the podcast. I doubt he'll listen to it. He, he hates what I have to say. He thinks it's pointless. I'm just joking. He really loves it. He prays to receive Christ every time he hears it. And so, uh, <laughs> but anyway, he was, um, like he was a Baptist minister. And if you grew up in the Baptist, like in the Baptist deal, you may know this song, People Need the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, let me try it for you. It probably ain't going to help if I, if I, I'm completely toned up. But here it goes. People need the Lord. No, 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 that, that will get me off key. People need the Lord. When will we realize he's an open door for people need the Lord? That, that song? Well, there's... If, no, 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 no. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you can bring it. Not quite like grabbing a wasp off, off your face, but I do what I can to perform. Uh, if you don't know what that means, it's because you don't love Jesus enough to come to church last week. But anyway, um, and so but if you know the song, there's a couple of different, I think they're called interludes, I'm not really sure, something like that, where there's like some long bridges in the, in the, in the, in the song. The first one is just like, like an organ and piano. And then so, and the second one is like a key change. So it's a little bit longer. And so, my, like, my dad used to do the revival, like, the revival circuit. But as the music guy, like, he was the music guy, did the revival circuit. And so he would go in and he would do revivals and he would sing the special music, usually on Thursday night, the last night of the revival. It was the, the, the big, like, dramatic one. And he would sing that song. He'd bring it, okay? Not quite as much as he'd bring Dallas Holmes' Rise Again. I don't know if you know that song from his last days, the Easter cantata. He did that one really well, too. But he'd do People Need the Lord. And during both interludes, he had two things, okay? And this is... I've heard this 
one million times, minus, I mean, a few. And this is what he said. The first interlude, he'd say this. And he would, he would like, he seems to hold the microphone. Oh, my goodness. Let me just do it. Okay. And he'd be back here and, like, behind the pulpit. And he'd step around. Like, this right here. Change hands. Bam. Hold it to the side. Like, he is about to, like, like locked and loaded. Right? You know? And he'd say, Dad, if you're listening, you're, I know you appreciate this. Dwight L. Moody. No, he'd say, D.L. Moody, because people in the Baptist circuit, they knew all about him, you know, didn't even, like, you can just go by his initials. Dwight L. Moody once said, walked another side step, that everyone's either a missionary or a mission field. Hmm. Which one are you? And there'd be like glories and hallelujahs and amens. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. I mean, I've heard it. It was so good. I mean, I appreciate it. And then he'd go back to say good. He's an open door. And then it was a key change to get back to the big bravado at the end or whatever. And the last one, it would be a little longer. So sorry uh, about that, Keith. If you're looking, um, <laughs> I thought about bending down and getting it. I'm like, these pants are tight. That would be, <laughs> no way. <laughs> uh, no, just me. Um, but anyway, um, so before the second one, no, stay with me. This is important Christian stuff. Um, he, he would go and prepare, and it was this one. Oh, that's so good. And he'd say, and I heard the word of the Lord say, who will I send? Who will go forth for us? And then Vince Vaughn walks on stage and says, swaddle that baby. You know what I'm talking about? And it was like, ha, ah, whatever. And then he, no, that part wasn't happening, but that would have. And, he go, and he'd say this, he'd say this, he'd say this. Um, he'd say this. Uh, he'd say, I heard the word of the Lord say, who will I send? Who will go for us? And he said this. He said, and here I am, Lord, send me. Like this big, powerful moment. And I remember just thinking, oh, that's so true. Like, I want to be that, right? Okay, so we all hear that. And like, we get that like, yeah, if you're a Christian. And you're like, you rip your shirt off and say, you can't take away my freedom. And you paint your chest and wear the kilt. And you're like, let's chase after this. And then you're like, you're so bold and excited. And I remember hearing that thinking, yes, people need the Lord. Let's go tell them. And then they're all they're like, we're going to save, I'm going to save my whole nation. You know, like, I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like part of that's being in jest now. But I remember hearing that and thinking, I'm in seventh grade. I'm going back to my school. I'm going to win souls. That's what, I mean, that's, that would have been what I thought. And I put it, I would carry my Bible in my back pocket. And I used to think, no, I heard the word of the Lord say, who I sin? And I would correct every, someone every time. That, um, that someone cussed. I mean, no, 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 Jesus doesn't love that. You know, doesn't love that about you. I mean, he loves you, but he doesn't love your vocabulary right now. You know, like, those, now I'm going to save them because I heard the word Lord. Like, you know, so I was wrestling with it. And so this is the exact, you know, that, that statement is what Paul's referencing here. This is this moment in history that Isaiah stands up and makes this statement. Isaiah 6 is when he says, I heard the word of the Lord say, who will I send and who will go forth? And Isaiah steps out in the, in the key change and says, here I am, Lord, send me, right? And I want you to hear this. This is, this is what, what picks up afterwards, okay? I, I, Josh, I, I skipped the first few verses. So this is going to be verse 9. So he just says, here I am, Lord. This is Isaiah 6, verse 9. It says this. And he said, so he said, here I am, Lord, send me. Isaiah 6, 9 says this. So God says, I need some people to talk for me. And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. I'll go save this nation. Like bold, excited, just heard from God, really cool things. I want you to see what happens here. Same thing that Paul's quoting, okay? And he said, this is God talking. Go and say to this people. So Isaiah, that's great. You're gonna go here. This is what I want you to say. Here's your message. Okay, you ready for this? These people are gonna love it. You're gonna be a raving hit is what he's saying, right? You're gonna be really popular, Isaiah. And he said, go and say to this people. Keep on hearing, Go say this to them. Keep on hearing, 
but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people so dull or dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So go tell them that, yeah, keep on hearing. You don't hear anything. Keep on seeing. You're not really seeing anything. Keep on talking. I mean, Isaiah, I want you to say the same message over and over again. So they're so tired of hearing it. They're just like, oh, there's Isaiah with his one, you know, his one point message again. So they just are completely turned off. Okay, so God, what you're saying is you want me to go make a bunch of people angry and hate me. Yeah, that's about right, Isaiah. Wait, can I, like, can I do the whole, hey, ask again, God, here. Here, let's, let's start. Like, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Let's go back to verse six. And so Isaiah, I heard the word of the Lord send, or say, who will I send? Who will go forth for us? <laughs> Your turn. <laughs> like, Trust me, it's real good. No, no, really, you'll love this. <laughs> anyway, so that's what he says. And so this is what Isaiah says. Okay, God, I'll say it. Then verse 10, I'm not making this up. Wait, no, verse 11. Then I said, oh, how long, oh Lord? And also I'm like, oh, really? Like, that's the message. I was all passionate. I was going to win my seventh grade class to the Lord. And now all of a sudden you want me just to go say this thing that they're going to be mad. Like, okay, God, how long? Give me the nice part of it, you know, where they get BMWs. That's what he says. <laughs> and he said, okay, here, here's how long, Isaiah, so that you can just have a good time frame. Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. Uh, okay, God, that didn't go exactly where I was thinking it would. I was thinking until, you know, somebody got puppies, another person saw a double rainbow. Like that's where I'm thinking. This is their head. He continues to so says, And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a couple different types of trees whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stumps. You see that, right? It's like, and the stump remains when it's felled. And it's like, oh, yes. Like they had bad, they had like, they had like Northwest Georgia grammar all the way back in the Old Testament. You see that? And when the stumps failed, when those trees failed, that's how long it's going to be. I think it's a little different, but anyway. The holy seed is its stump. So here it goes. So he stands up and makes this big message and all of a sudden here we are again, like no puppies, no rainbows, no BMW. It's not getting any better yet, right? It's like, no, no, I need you to tell them. This doesn't get better. Just keep talking about, some of them aren't going to hear. Like, and so I'm like, reading this, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's so messy, right? Like, it's like, no, no, that's not what I want in the gospel. I want to tell you that Jesus is enough and you all say, yes, he is. And you chase after it and your lives get awesome. And I don't necessarily want you to get all the, like the great prosperity side of it. I'm just saying, I want you to know that Jesus is enough and be able to sleep at night. And a bunch of people look in and say, wow, those people really believe what they say. And I want all those things. But the truth is, as Paul quoted Isaiah saying, you know what? I could probably keep giving this message over and over again. Some of you are never going to get it. And so I thought, man, God, that's kind of that heartless. Like, I want you to be the God that I talk about, the gracious, merciful, loving God, the God who works everything together for their own good. And he says this, for those he called according to his purpose, for those who love him. No, no, God, I want you to work it together for everybody. No, 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 it says for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who love him. And the deal is, and Paul says it to these guys, and they all, uh, these Jewish leaders, he said, you know what? Guess we'll just go back to what Isaiah said. Some of you just aren't going to get it. So we have Paul in Acts 28 quoting Isaiah 6. Now here's, stay with me because it gets better. John 12, okay, you can go there with me as well. Uh, John 12 
also talks about the same thing. So it's so nice. Like several different times throughout the Bible, this scripture's referenced. So Old Testament, New Testament, all connected, all pointing to Jesus, right? It's also referenced. And in John 12, okay, here's what's just happened. John 12, Lazarus has just come back from dead. And they're like, yes, Lazarus is alive. I mean, it's pretty exciting stuff, right? Like dead man back to life. They're all pumped and excited. And they're like, Jesus, you need to lean into that. Like, that's your, that's your go-to message. Like, say, look, this guy was dead. Now he's alive. Abraca, Jesus. And look, there you go. Trust after him. Yes, pray this prayer. We'll all go to heaven together, right? Jesus, that's your message. Stick with it. Stick with it. And Jesus basically says, look, here's the deal. I could do some really crazy signs. I mean, like more than pull my thumb off and put it back on. Like I could literally remove both of my legs, right? Turn them into nunchucks, whip all the Philistines, put them back on my legs and say, who else can do that? And some people still won't get it. Say like, and he again, right here, quotes this exact same scripture in Isaiah and says, some people's ears are just hardened. Some people, our hearts are just hardened. Some people's ears are just deafened. Some people's eyes just are blind. Like no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we try to point to it, some people just aren't going to get this. But then it explains why. And this is what it says in John chapter 21, just after Jesus explains this. John chapter 12, verse 41, here's what it says. Very clearly, John explains to us why Isaiah says this in Isaiah 6. It's very important. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So Isaiah has this great vision of seeing God and this holy of holies and this perfect. He says, God, I'll go because I hear you, right? He says this. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. So some of them believed. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So John, uh, Isaiah clearly explains why in verse 43. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Let me explain this to you, okay? This is a worldview issue. Same for the Jews, same for us. Basically what it's saying is, the reason they can't hear is because they're so focused on what they've already identified as the way that life works. If I get more people are impressed with me and people are impressed with me, then I'm worth more and therefore I've succeeded. Right? This idea that, no, 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 yeah, they got it, but their hearts were hard because they thought, oh, that works good, but I don't really want God's glory. He's some guy way up there. I need this person right here to think I'm really amazing. Because for some reason, this person thinks I'm amazing, that somehow it makes me more valuable. Like somehow I've taken my identity and my value and I've handed it to this person. Like, if you say I'm good, therefore I must be good. And what, what, what John says is, look, what Isaiah understood is that some people are never going to get this. Because they've already determined that their value comes from their identity from other people. Their glory comes from their worth. And their worth comes from how successful they all are, how much they have. All because we want someone to be jealous of us, right? So, so here John is saying, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to understand. Some of you will never get this because you'll never ever believe that your value and your worth can be something more than what someone else thinks of you that can all be placed in the fact that Jesus, and the Bible says this, while we were still sinners, meaning in that moment, right this moment as we're sinners, Christ died for us. Like your value is what you're worth, right? Like I've been wrestling through this on Craigslist. Hey, how much is this Corvette I have worth or this tractor? And it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. That's always what value is. You go and you're like, how much is it worth? Well, let's go see how much it just sold for on eBay so I can know. How much is your house worth? You may think it's worth $250,000, but since 2007, it may be worth $130,000, right? Because that's what someone's willing to pay for. It's that simple, right? So therefore, your value has everything to do with what someone's willing to pay for you. 
The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what, what Paul is saying, what Isaiah is saying, what Jesus is referencing is some of you will never get that. And so no matter how many times it's said, no matter how many times it happens, your hearts will be hardened. But for those that are, it says this, he says he'll respond and he will heal you and he will save you, right? So I was praying in your heart. I'm like, okay, God, what is it that people need to know? And here's the message. Here's what I think that you're supposed to hear and you get to do with it whatever you want to. So yeah, you can decide whether or not you believe it. You can decide whether or not your hearts are hardened or not. Again, you, may, you can decide whether or not this is foolishness. And you can just appreciate them. I didn't rip my pants in front of you. And that could be the end of the day and it may be worthwhile for you. Well, I went to church. This pastor almost ripped his pants and showed me his bottom, but it didn't happen. I'm really relieved. I'm probably not going back there, but at least it wasn't too awkward. Right? Here's, the, here's the message. Jesus says this, or Paul says this about Jesus. He says this, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. That's the message. That's the, the nutshell. That's the surmise. That's the summary. That's the thesis of this entire book, the Bible. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. You've heard it before. You've been asked to come down the aisle. You've prayed some prayer, and you thought things would get better, and they didn't. You're like, oh, never mind. Okay, the word Lord literally means whoever says, Jesus, you're in charge of every bit of me is saying, okay, God, here's all, my, here's all my junk, literally. Here's all my nastiness. You can have it. You can have everything good. You can have everything bad. You get to be in charge because I've not done a very good job. I'll admit that I don't have all the answers. I believe you do. Here you go. I'm calling you Lord Jesus. I'm putting you in charge of everything. You're like, that's kind of weird. Like you've never even seen Jesus. And then all of a sudden, exactly. I understand why some of this is falling on hardy or hard hearts and deaf ears because it sounds a little crazy. But the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever says, Jesus, you are boss of my life. You're in complete charge, those people are saved. And so I can try to explain to you why you should do that. And trust me, I can explain to you why I've done it. In Revelation 12, it says the enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of people's testimony. Right? So there's that Jesus died and then the other part of it is I get to share with you. I am only a decent person at times because of Jesus living in me. That's it. Outside of that, I am, I am absolute filth. Anything good you've ever seen come from me that's worthwhile is because of Jesus in my life, right? I mean, I, I just, that's it. That's all I got to offer you, right? So for me, I'm saying, yeah, I'll tell you, there's a lot of messiness. There's a lot of nastiness in me. The only thing good that comes from me is because Jesus has decided to, to allow me to call him Lord, right? And so, but, but at the same time, I can spend a lot of time trying to convince you, but for some of you, it's just saying, yeah, that makes sense. And some of you have prayed the prayer, but it's not really made sense because you haven't said, God, here's my marriage, God, here's my job. God, here's my finances, right? Because when Jesus says, Lord, he's talking about all of it. And some of you have just been like deaf on like, well, I don't think he means that. I don't think he means this relationship. I think I can still do what I want to with my girlfriend. I think I can still do what I want to with my taxes. I think I can still do what I want to with my marriage or with my kids. No, no, no. What the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord literally says, God, here's my children. I want to raise them in the way that you tell me to. Because you're Lord. It means you're in charge. You're boss, right? So the Bible says, ever calls upon the name of the Lord to say. And instead of telling you all the puppies and rainbows that happens, I want, you to, I want to tell you that it could end badly for you. It ended badly for Paul. In fact, I, in fact, I want you to see this clip real quick. As you wrestle through this, do you want to call Jesus Lord? I don't want you to sign up for something because you think you get something out of the deal. I want you to sign up for it because you believe Jesus is enough. And I just want you to watch this clip real quick and then we'll wrap up. See, here's, 
Here's the gospel. Can I just unpack the gospel just as quick as I can? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that if you follow him, everything's going to go well and everything is going to work. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that you get him and he's enough no matter what circumstance comes. Okay, so like, let me give you, because some of you are like, "Uh uh-uh, no. No, sir. Give me my prosperity. All right, well, let's chat. Just for a second, I'm not an angry guy. John the Baptist was the greatest born ever of man. That's what Jesus said about him. Jesus doesn't lie. Now, not saying you're not awesome. I'm just saying, okay. Now, John the Baptist finds himself in prison, by the way, for doing what Jesus told him to do. So he sends word to Jesus. Are you the one? Because this is going bad for me. Paraphrase, Bible the remix. Some of you are with me. Now, in that, in that, Jesus goes back to him, says, tell him this, and quotes to him the book of Isaiah about what would happen when the Messiah came. That, that the blind would see, that, that those who were lame would walk, that the poor would be ministered to. And the last part of the Isaiah benediction was that the prisoners would go free. But Jesus leaves that part off. Yeah, I'm the one, and you're going to be beheaded because of a stripper. Really, because I didn't, I didn't see it playing out that way for me. That's not how I saw it playing out. I've been giving in to annuity, and I thought that when all said and done, I was going to get a sailboat, and, and yeah, maybe was gonna, I was going to write some books. I, was gonna write, I didn't see myself getting my head cut off for being obedient. <laughs> when, when's the last time you heard that one preached? Follow God! It could end badly. <laughs> it, could, it could end very badly. Maybe I'm the only one who finds it humorous. Um, well, yeah, it is that. I, you know, it makes sense that you know what you're signing up for. And so let me, let me attempt in these last two minutes to put a real bow on this, okay? I'm not promising you anything good. I'm promising you that Jesus can be enough. I'm not promising you that everything will work out, your marriage will be healed, that you won't go bankrupt. I'm not promising you any of those things. I'm telling you this, and I promise you Jesus is enough, right? In fact, what I love... I love God's word because I do really believe it resolves some things for us. I really do. Not that everything's perfect, but that you can take a deep breath because Jesus is enough. In fact, um, John 12, which I just read from you, is when John referenced, he said, this is why Isaiah read these things and wrote these things because he recognized that some people just want the glory from God or from man rather than God. And there's two people in this room. I said there's one. We all don't have the answer. Now we get to leave with two different types of people. People are saying, nope, I want my glory from God. I want to give God glory and I want to trust him fully and people that say, nope, I'm going to continue to do the things I do. Again, that's between you and God, not you and me. I love you. You keep coming back. We're not trying to convince you of anything. Just want to share it through it. God says, but I understand why this is scary, right? Because all of a sudden, I'm just telling you, people die because of this belief system. And I'm not a prophet. Paul's more of a prophet than I am. That is not a gifting that I operate in. But I will tell you this. I, I genuinely... I genuinely hope it gets back to that point. I genuinely hope we have to really believe and chase after God because we believe he's enough to the point where it can mean our life and our comfort. Because I actually think that's when we change the world. I genuinely, I'm not making it up. I hope we suffer 
Because I actually think it would be incredible for people to see us suffer and still see joy on our face because we can say, man, you can take all this away from me because Jesus is enough. Like, Jesus is enough. That's all I need. Like, I really hope it gets to that point, right? But that's scary. And so I don't want you to sign up for something you don't understand. And that's why I think it makes sense that just before this, in John chapter 12, we see Lazarus come back to life. But I want you to see what happens when Lazarus is dead, okay? Let's go read it. John chapter 11, we'll read it and conclude with this. This is John chapter 11, beginning of verse 1. And we're going to cover a lot of ground real fast. Here goes. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So this guy, Lazarus, who's a good friend, close friend of Jesus and Mary and Martha. They were all family members. They loved Jesus. Jesus loved them. He gets really ill, right? So the sister sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. God, you love this guy. He called you Lord. We're calling you Lord. And yet my brother's about to die. Like it's about to end badly for him, right? And so I want you to see this. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of man may be glorified through it. So hey, Mary, Martha, you can trust me. This illness doesn't lead to death. Like it's going to work out okay. I'm working it together for my good. No, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, meaning he's dead. But I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, will he recover? No, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he had meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly. It ended badly for Lazarus. Lazarus died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, dead for four days, right? He shows up, Lazarus, whom he loved, is dead. Ends badly, right? I mean, dead. Wrapped in his mummy clothes in a tomb, dead. The King James Version says, he stinketh. I make that, I'm not making that up. That's literally what it says. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, it wouldn't have ended badly for him, right? But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying private, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. 
No, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So he's not quite there yet. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary wise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now pay attention to this verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, so she's sobbing, right? Broken. This isn't going well for her. She believes in Jesus. Now her brother's dead, whom she loved, whom Jesus loved, right? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In fact, if you know anything about the Bible, if you ever learned the quote or memorized verses, this is the one you should start with because a, a two-word verse in the King James is this, Jesus wept. Let me explain this to you. Lazarus is dead. Jesus knows what's about to happen. I've already told you the end of the story. He brings him back to life. Understand, so he knows the answer. He knows that it's all gonna work out. He knows it's gonna be for his good, but even in this moment, as he sees their pain, Jesus weeps. So let me be clear here. It will not always go good for you. Based on what I can read in scripture, you can know that your pain will never be wasted and Jesus cares deeply even in the middle of it. Understand, Jesus sees the end of the picture, but even in that moment, as their, their heavenly father, as their comforter, he still is deeply moved. Yes, he knows the answer. Yes, he knows it's all gonna work out, you know, because we struggle with that. I have a kid and sometimes it's like, you know, I'm gonna spank you. You're gonna sit in time out. You're gonna cry. I don't really care because that's what, that's what you deserve and this is the best way for you to get. I know that if I don't do this later, you're gonna, I don't know, you're gonna run over kitty cats and hang them from a tree. And so I don't know. So I wanna go ahead and stop you from that now by disciplining you now, right? So I can see the better picture then. Oh, well, right? I can just see my kid. I can discipline whatever, not a big deal because it gets to a better end. Well, Jesus doesn't just say, well, it's not a big deal. Lazarus will go to heaven. We'll play ping pong. You know, like in the middle of this deal, he sees them and he is deeply moved. Like he hurts. So if you're hurting right now, it's not like, well, that's a mean guy trying to punish you. No, Jesus sees and Jesus cares and Jesus moves deeply. So in everything you can count on two things. Jesus cares what you're going through. He will not waste a single ounce of your pain or sorrow or suffering. He didn't waste a single sorrow, pain, or ounce of any of that from any of the guys in the Bible. Nothing was wasted. He cares, and at the same time, he's working together for something good. Those are two things you count on. I can't promise you it will go well for you, but I can promise you those two things. In every moment, Jesus cares deeply about where you are, and he cares deeply about where you're going, and he's working it all together for your good and his glory. So let's see what happens here. So here's what it says. And he said, wherever you laid him, they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, there it is. Jesus wept, not sniffled. God of this universe sobbed because he cared deeply for this man who was dead. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Like, couldn't you have saved him too? Then Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He stinketh, right? For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
So, again, what I want you to hear is this. Life's not perfect. There'll be sorrow. There'll be pain. And some of you are in the middle of it right now. And some of you are saying, I don't know what to do about it. And here's the best news about calling Jesus Lord. It's literally saying, God, I have nothing good to offer you. All I literally have is filthy rags. And Jesus says, give them to me. Give them to me. Like, I am in charge. I, I, I see everything and I work in everything. So like for those of you who, have, who operate in the logical, not in the emotional side, let me just make this logical conclusion. We've tried it ourselves, right? We've tried to be Lord. We're kind of still here saying, man, we don't have any answers. And Matthew 11, Jesus says, bring me everything you have, your burdens, your whatever it is. I, I ask that you bring them to me as your Lord and I will make your burdens easy for my yoke is light. In other words, whatever it is, what's really ending badly, trusting a God who's in control, who speaks and things happen, or trusting yourself. Because the, 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 the unique paradox of the whole thing is calling Jesus Lord is actually really the only way that does it in badly. As messy as that sounds, the Bible says that um, broad is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. Whoever loses his life actually finds it. Right? So it's like, from the logical side, this really doesn't make sense, but I only want to spend any more time trying to logically lead you there. Jesus says, ever calls one of the name of the Lord is saved. You got to decide whether or not that's something you want to do. Some of you, it lands well, and you're like, oh, that's it. That's it for me today. For some others, it's like, mm, you're still not there. Please keep coming. We'll keep loving you. Please keep calling us if you need something. Come have breakfast with us. Keep coming around, because this is not about us being right, you being wrong, or any of those things. It's about us trying to figure it out. And say, here's Jesus. We think he's Lord, and we want to show you what a life looks like for people who follow him. So let me pray for you, and we're going to worship. Jesus. And I'll tell you, even in this moment, God, like I am, I'm wrestling. Maybe I'm not as spiritual as Paul is, but I just want to spend some time and shape this and say, no, 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 no. If you just, these folks say, no, 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 like Jesus is so good and he's so loving and he's so worth chasing after and nothing else (coughs) matters compared to him. God, I don't want to spend so much time just trying to convince folks of stuff, but God, I, I really, I don't think you need me. I don't think you need us. And God, my guess is a lot of people in this room know that. And they want so badly to trust you, but they're scared to death. And so God, the, the unique thing about courage is that we don't need a whole bunch of it. It doesn't take a lot of courage to jump out of a plane with a parachute. It takes a split second of courage. After that, it's just too late. And so God, um, would you give some people in this room a split second of courage to say, God, you're enough. Like, I want you to be Lord and I want to chase after you. Would you speak to them? Would you give them clarity to know that you're God and you're in charge and that you waste nothing and that you feel their pain and you move deeply on behalf of it and that you're not going to waste it and you're going to work everything together for the good God? Would you give them the clarity to understand that and then the courage to follow you and surrender to you? Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me as we, as we sing?